3: <laughs> no. Is it actually too late?
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay.
3: <laughs> Hi, people.
2: <laughs> well, what do you need to do?
3: Oh, I was just going to ask if we wanted to do that correction from last week.
2: Um, oh, yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, okay, sure. cool. Okay, recording.
0: Hi, I'm Thomas Smith of Serious Inquiries Only, and I took a left at the valley.
1: I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people
0: taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Atheist, atheist.
2: Coming at you from Santa's Secret Shop, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I noticed that this year, uh, I noticed that the year I stopped believing in Santa is roughly the same time I started getting ugly socks (laughs) instead of cool stuff for Christmas.
3: Hey, ugly socks are the best.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Joining me as usual are the fillings for Santa's Reindeers team. She summarized that Santa should drop the reindeers and ride a Holly Davidson instead Nancy.
4: That sounds good to be in a tattoo. There we go.
2: She took her ex to the Christmas market. Unfortunately, no one bought her. Christy,
3: <laughs> I wanted some good money. Okay.
2: And she says it's the fifth year in a row. The in-laws came over for Christmas. Maybe she'll let them in this time. Kirsten. Yeah, there's no hope for that one. No,
3: no, they're not coming.
2: <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Hello. Our Christmas special.
3: It's going to be fun. I'm so excited.
1: Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays.
2: Indeed, That's going to be fun. Nancy's still adjusting her volume, but that's okay.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, for once, it's not me. Yeah.
2: So today we're going to do a fairly light show. We're just going to be talking, we're going to try to keep it positive as much as possible and then talk about Christmas and all the wonderful stuff about Christmas and wonderful stories about Christmas. But first, the news never stops, so let's do a bit of chit-chat. Did you guys hear that the uh, grizzly uh, bear hunt has uh, been banned in BC now?
4: About time. Yeah. I didn't
3: know there was a grizzly bear hunt.
2: Actually, it's been a huge controversy for years now. Uh, the uh, the environmentalists have been fighting against it uh, to, to, to keep this from happening, obviously. Um, now the... Uh, NDP government has decided that it was no longer acceptable in the public's eye to have this, and maybe they've done it as a move to appease the Green vote, especially in light of them going ahead with the Site C dam. Yeah, so the BC Forest Minister Doug Donaldson uh, basically wanted this. uh, So you're no longer allowed to hunt grizzly bears, except for First Nations, of course. Um, It's estimated there's about fifteen thousand grizzly bears in BC, and uh, seventeen hundred permits were issued in twenty seventeen, and about usually about three hundred bears are killed every year.
4: Well, and, and when they're when they're killed. By hunters, are they killed for? They're not killed for meat. Why are they? No, they're killed. They're hunted just for trophy. Mostly, yes. And to put up, to put up their stuffed bodies in front of some thrift shop.
2: Something like that, yeah.
3: Yeah. Something like that. Will Will this impact the amount? Like, um, I didn't know. Like, was the like, a permit issued at all to do with, like, um, keeping the population, like,
2: down? Well, that, that's what uh, some of the hunters are claiming. Uh, you know, there is a bit of a theory that if you take care and you manage the apex predator in a population, yeah. in an ecosystem, it, it managed to keep everything underneath uh, working well. Um, I'm not sure if this was actually necessary. Uh, and, of course, there was... a uh, pretty good source of revenue as well for these uh these guides yeah. you know to have these uh these uh, trophy hunters from outside of the province inside the province and from the states as well to come up and shoot a bear but now the government is basically saying the the tourism uh, to actually see the bears is actually going to be more uh more better uh, for for the coffers of the government. How is there the
3: tourism to see the bears? No, no,
2: but you can actually, you know, it's it's a bit like I wouldn't a,
3: want to get close to a grizzly
2: bear. <laughs> no, you don't get right close to it. But it's a bit like watching the whales. You know, you go sightseeing as well, and you could catch whales on on the ocean. But you can kind of do the same thing with bears. To eat you. <laughs> no, but you you can do it from safe places, right? True. You're not on the ground 300, 300 yards away from a bear. I say, hey, how you doing? You know, no, It doesn't really work that way. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that.
4: That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, think that's the, I think that's the logical um, good it's common sense and it's kindness and mm-hmm. it's all, all kinds of good things. I don't think there's a bad – there's a downside to that at all.
2: So. No, I don't think but, so either. I mean uh, yeah. it's, I can understand you want to hunt or something like that, but you know what? It's – why don't you hunt with a uh, camera instead? Well, that, you
4: know? that keeps the Trump boys out of Canada.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. That's a there plus go, right there. That's there a plus we, right there.
4: Hey, all they, all they had to do was put that in, <laughs> it, you know, in the bill. Keep the Trump
2: family away. <laughs> there there go, we yeah. go. We're good. We're good. Um, You you know, uh, we talked about last week and the week before about how Trump decided to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Well, the UN decided to vote on that, Mm -hmm. and they basically, all of them, pretty much all of them uh, decide no. We're not yep. break, we're not doing this, and uh, I think it was the nine U.S.
3: countries that voted with them. Sorry, I think it was nine countries that voted with them.
2: I'm not even sure if some of them did. I mean, maybe under pressure from the U.S. Yeah,
4: well, a lot of them were countries that get aid from the states. Yeah, of course. See, I think there were 14 countries on the side of the U.S. and 35 abstentions, but 128 or 138, something like that. Yeah, and so, Nikki Haley's taking names.
2: That's right. That's what I was about to say. You know, they decide to, to take notes and. Trump is uh, threatening to cut aid to the countries now voting with the U.S., saving billions of dollars. Uh, you figure at some point the Americans <laughs> are going to realize they are not the center of the universe? Uh, I mean, Toronto I hope- is all. I mean, but-
4: for him to – I mean, I, you, there's no reason to be surprised at this point. If you're surprised at anything he says, you're either hibernating someplace or, you know, not listening. <laughs> yeah. But for for him to actually say – with all the money that we give to this institution, and then they turn around and and vote against us. Well, what the heck do you think the UN is there for, if not to censure countries that are not in agreement with all the principles of the UN? Yeah. For heaven's sake! And the, it's not binding. It's not like they're coming over here, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, sitting in his yeah. office and poking him and telling him he, how terrible he is. I mean, it's but. <laughs> It, it's money with that man. It's
2: just money. Oh, it absolutely is just that. And it's kind of funny because if that same vote would have arised 20 years ago under a different president, I yeah. think a lot of country might have joined the U.S. But I think it's almost like a the entire world is saying, you know what, U.S., you need to sit down and take a break here. You need to really rethink what you're doing because yeah. we're not agreeing with you and we're not intimidated by you.
4: I'm sure they, you know, part of it was that they, it was a warning, you know, to think before you, you speak, you know, now that you're an authoritarian leader, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. I understand that Nikki did issue invitations for a little party for everybody (laughs) that that voted. That seems more like a punishment though, don't (laughs) I? You voted for us now. Now you've got to come and, you know, play nice to the, to the big guy. Oh. Oh jeez, there's no winning.
3: I, I think Trump, when he heard when he when he heard growing up that America was like the leader of the free world, he thought like, oh, if I become president, I'm literally gonna be leading the world. Yeah, like, yeah I no, think
2: so. No, think so. <laughs> uh, that man will be talking about this man for oh, decades to come. Yep. Speaking of the U.S., uh, do you guys uh, see that the U.S. passed their tax bill?
3: Oh. Yes, uh, Has it actually been signed by President Trump yet? I don't know if it's been yes. signed.
4: As, yes, as it we was talk- signed yesterday. Oh, it was so, signed yesterday? Yeah, oh. he called early oh, in the morning and said to his staff, you know, I promised everybody I'd do this for Christmas. So he rushed everybody to get the bill yeah. to him without any of the Senate or any mm-hmm. of the com- – so they aren't getting any, any of the credit or any of the face time that they deserve. And he had a box full of pens that should have gone to the Congress – you know, because they were the ones that yeah. signed it. They had the ceremony. No, he just said, here, I've got all these pens and gave them all out to the press. What? Wow. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Congress. Go so, ahead. Stay behind Trump. So this is See a
2: $1.5 trillion dollar tax bill. It's the largest change in the on the tax code for the last 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Senator Sanders, that we love, uh, forced a second vote because Mm -hmm. after he found some irregularities in the bill. Uh, So it seems that trickle-down economics is back in the U.S. Yeah. Reaganomics. So the corporate tax will go down from 35% to 21%. Yeah. Who's going to pay for that?
4: Everyone the average else. Joe, the, the people exactly. are going to pay for that are the children who are whose parents are going to lose their uh, health care yeah. benefits and and be forced to pay higher premiums and eventually have to pay you know more mm-hmm. uh, in, in their taxes and not get any raises because the money that the save that the corporate people save in taxes are going to go right into their uh, bonuses so who's going to pay for it <laughs> everybody who deserves to have had the tax yep. break in the in the first place exactly. it's, it's interesting other than that i'm perfectly fine with it <laughs> <laughs>
3: there's there's a few companies that are giving out like christmas bonuses and a lot of the rep- Republicans are pointing to that, like, oh, look, look at this tax bill. Look at they're giving this money out. But it's like, actually, yeah, yeah. they were already planning to do that for, like, a month. Yeah. Like, your tax bill isn't the reason this is happening. I know,
2: I know. It's, uh... They don't seem to understand that, you know, even if you give a tax break to a rich man, there's only so many cars he can buy. You know, but if you give a tax break to his 30 employees, they might buy 30 cars. You well, know.
3: but they might also go and buy maybe some ice cream. They'll or, get rid of their
2: debt and they'll, uh, yeah, they'll like spend the they money instead of stashing They go
3: back into the local economy. Exactly, exactly. Because people who don't have extra cash don't put it into their trillions of dollars in savings. It has to go into their monthly expenses. But people who already have a billion or even just a million dollars who don't... Already have their rent and food and everything cost fixed, like because that that doesn't change. Like when you're living in a mansion, you still have the same food yeah, costs. Exactly. You still eat the same amount. So all this extra money is just going into their funds, where it can get stored and be create more money. Mm-hmm.
1: Which oh, I think they I'll go and buy a new Lambo. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. maybe a Ferrari. <laughs>
2: exactly. When you got a couple billion dollars stashed in, in, in the bank, there, it's a tax break. Uh, it's great, yeah. but I mean. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't go back into the economy. Yeah. It's, well, it's just, you're,
4: you're assuming that they should care about the low and middle true. class. Bad assumption, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Bad assumption.
2: Did you guys also hear about this uh, little tragedy The uh, in Washington State, south of Seattle, there was an Amtrak yeah. train that derailed. It did, yes. Uh, yeah. The train was going 80 kilometers above the speed limit it was supposed to.
3: Is it kilometers or miles?
2: Uh, 80 kilometers an hour above the speed limit. So it was doing 128 and a 48 Zone,
0: okay.
2: So uh, this was the inaugural route of. They were supposed to do a route that was faster from going to Portland, to Seattle, and up and down the coast. There, uh, eight dead, and uh, two hundred injured.
4: That's insane. I, I, I don't think were, I, I, Is that the, the the new numbers? I didn't think there were that many people on the on the train. That
2: were injured. Oh yeah, there was. Yeah, there was a fair amount. I mean, two hundred people goes by pretty fast. I mean, I could be wrong here, but that's the article I read. That's what I saw. Mm. So, if yeah, I'm wrong, whatever. please let I mean, me know. It's a
4: tragedy, and I think part of it had to do with the uh, what they call the positive control or mm-hmm. whatever it is that it wasn't activated. Yes. It's a maiden run, and it wasn't activated. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was engineer error. And then it, the safety factors didn't kick in or whatever it was. Yeah. But it was awful to see that.
2: It was kind of like dangling. on an overpass and then it just kind of fell right down
0: and
4: you yeah. know, it was dangling there. Yeah. And it was like, wow. It's amazing people survived, you know, with as, as, as few, not as few injuries, but, you know, not worse injuries. Yeah, it could
2: have been way worse. Yet. It absolutely could have been way worse. And uh, I got to uh, point out a little something. Our friend uh, Chris Christensen. It's his birthday today.
1: Oh, happy, birthday. So, uh, oh, happy birthday. Whether
2: or not he's listening to us or we'll listen to the show, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. uh, our, our, favorite Christian, our favorite Christian apologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's his he birthday. gets a
4: workout with us, which is good. Oh, yeah.
2: I think yeah. we should bring him on. Uh, we should bring him on soon enough. Oh, yeah, we'll we have a conversation with a Christian. Oh, I'm sure we will. Or we could just pound him into the ground. Yeah. Let's do that. He usually number. comes yeah. on once a year. Yeah, last then, time he came with a debate against Tyler on the and history. And then it of takes years.
4: 364 days for him to <laughs> to, <get laughs> to recover. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and Christina, you wanted to point out a, a little factual mistake that we made on a report we did last week.
3: Yes, right? um, it was with the um, news report that tr- the Trump administration had censored uh, the CDC mm-hmm. um, and that they had banned um, specific words. Yep, and it was later reported that. It wasn't actually that these words were banned. It was just that in the CDC's um, request for like finances, they were like, okay, we shouldn't use these words. Kind of as like to make it more likely that they would actually get their funding. Because yeah. they kind of knew that these words were, would make the Trump administration less likely to give them money. Which is still
2: it's horrible. still sad. It's still yeah. sad as hell. Yeah.
3: But it wasn't that the Trump administration so the, was like, the, you cannot use these. Products.
2: From now on, the CDC cannot use science-based because yep. they might not get funding.
3: Yeah. So it was. It wasn't. It was more
4: of an internal decision. Yeah. It's, 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 again, it's playing to the base. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're anything having to do with science or an understanding of the real world and how people, you know, uh, actually live their lives. Yeah. Uh, no, no. It's no. really
3: it's really worrying that you when you realize that the CDC doesn't just like automatically get funding. I'm
1: yeah, like yeah.
0: they're
3: they're kind of important. <laughs> it's
1: like you would think you would want to fund that. Yeah. You would think so.
2: All right. So today we're going to be doing uh, some uh, nice Christmas stories. And stuff like that. So, I'm gonna put on a virtual campfire here. Okay. Oh, a bit of Christmas music. We need
4: one today. It's chilly outside. Yes. Because yes. we're
3: in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and there is snow outside.
2: <laughs> Can you guys hear this? Yeah.
3: Uh, yes. Yes, yeah.
2: Some nice, soothing Christmas music.
1: Uh, get, our, get our crackling fire. Get, get our hot wine. chocolate
3: with marshmallows.
1: That's right. <laughs> Although, thankfully, not as much snow as last year. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, hold on. It just started. <laughs> it's
3: supposed, to, yeah, but we had it's supposed like, to be as bad as had had last like, year. Feet, like in November.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is the one
2: spot in the country that we barely get any snow when you're complaining.
3: Yes. yes. I don't like I don't like snow.
2: <laughs> Gotta so. get it, I like you?
3: rain. Lots and lots of rain, <laughs> not snow.
2: Alright. My dear Nancy, you had a few things you wanted to talk about
4: i do okay I do and to start this segment off which is going to be fun uh mr kevin if you would play the three little clips that um i uh, i think will be fun for everybody to listen to we'll start off with a little music
2: classic
0: The tree tops glisten. The
2: next one? Yeah. yeah that's children. great.
4: Okay, I, I might miss. break out to be singing All right. Again. And the next one is...
2: This is Tony Bennett. Sweet
0: bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Winter wonderland.
4: Gone Always a favorite. Yeah, let's do the last
2: one. Let's do the last one. This one's a bit more hip hoppy.
4: Hip, hip, hip.
2: Jackson Fine. Whoa.
0: Santa Claus is coming to town. (laughs) Santa Claus is coming to town. You better
4: watch out. Santa Claus is coming to town. Okay. So here's the pop quiz. Oh, there's a pop quiz. (laughs) Haven't haven't had a pop quiz in a long time. All right. Winter Wonderland, uh, White Christmas, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Other than the fact that they're all Christmas songs, Mm -hmm. what else do they have in common? They were all written about the same place. They all what? They're all written about the same place. (laughs) Let's, Let's count that as a sort of a good guess. Okay. Okay.
2: What else do we have in common? <laughs>
4: what else do they have in common? They're we all have, sung they have... by men. They're all sung by men. Yep. <laughs> They're all sung by men, but they don't necessarily have to be.
2: They all have the same writer.
4: No, they don't have the same writer, but I'm gonna give you sort of a sort of a half a cigar oh. for that one because they're being all Christmas songs, they're all written by Jewish composers. Oh, cool. oh I know. Most of us don't realize that the most popular songs and I'll tell you what they are in a minute, but most of the popular Christmas songs were all written by nice Jewish composers during the 30s and 40s the standards that we have now are are, are all written by by Jewish artists
2: isn't that interesting that's pretty awesome
4: most people aren't aware of how influential the Jewish songwriters were and they were all not all of them, but most of the big writers were um, uh, big writers of, of songs that were patriotic or had to do with holidays. Mm-hmm. And most of them, of course, the Jewish, I mean, uh, the Jewish, christmas it's like a Jewish Christmas. So here's a list of some of the popular songs. Um, and everybody's going to go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either with some of these. <laughs> <laughs> Winter Wonderland, which we heard. Have Yourself a Merry Little Such Christmas. Such a good time. Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which we heard. Mm-hmm. Let it snow, let it snow, let Beautiful. it snow. The Most Wonderful Time oh. of the Year. Yes. Which we don't hear all that often anymore, but it's a nice one. Do You Know It's Christmas? Sleigh Ride. Um, the White Christmas, by the way, was written by Irving Berlin who also wrote Easter Parade and God Bless America. He was the most prolific of all of the songwriters we've ever heard. And there's a cute story about Irving Berlin, who, as you know, did a lot of movie um, songs and a lot of songs for Broadway. And during World War II, when he became really popular, nobody knew what he looked like because there wasn't, you know, instant uh, Um. pictures of him any place. And he he wasn't in many, many um, uh, movies. And And He was on a train um, traveling from one place to another, and there were a lot of servicemen on the train. And he was a great showman, and he decided he'd entertain them all with singing. And so (laughs) he did. He sang a lot of songs, and somebody came over to him and complimented him and said, Wow, you sure are great because you know all those popular songs. How do you know (laughs) them? And he said, I wrote them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a good good comeback.
4: Yeah, it's just kind of funny. Um, also there's the Christmas Waltz, Silver Bells. Oh,
1: I love Silver Bells. <laughs> oh, hold on.
4: Santa Baby, which was Oh, great. I hate that song so uh, much. much. Yeah. I hate I'll, it. You yeah. I hate that song. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to
1: play it now. Yeah. No.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I had to sing it in high school. Yeah. I'll be home fun. for Christmas, which that was one that amazing. was written for mm-hmm. the servicemen in particular. I've got my love to keep me warm Aww. and the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting yeah. by an Open oh. Fire. Okay, that was a great the Christmas song, Chestnuts which starts Chestnuts Roasting by an Open Fire was written by one of the great jazz singers of all time and you guys may be too young to realize who Mel Torme <laughs>
1: Oh, was. I know Do Mel Torme know, yes.
4: Mel Torme? Yes, I don't he, know <laughs> Mel Torme was born in Chicago and he was known as the Velvet Fog because yes. his voice was so smooth and, and he had perfect pitch but he was also, he could sing a ballad and he could also sing um, jazz and he became more famous for jazz as he grew older and one of the things he did in Chicago while he was growing up um, and in his, in his teens and becoming a little bit more popular but trying to establish a career was to appear at many of the movie theaters back in the 40s when you went to um, uh, see a movie at any of the larger theaters if they were downtown or in a bigger neighborhoods, they'd have intermission and they'd have a show and they'd have some musical artist, a, a singer or whatever and mm-hmm. Mel Torme would go you know, to the, the large. Theaters and and sing with the with the band nice. and we're, and I saw him at one of, at one of those shows. But you know who knew who Mel Torme was then? But yeah, yeah. he he was very very popular in Chicago. You
2: know, and uh, as a child, um, my parents used to watch this uh, sitcom called Night Court. It was very popular, it was very funny, and Mel Torme would make guest appearances on that show on a regular, regular basis. <laughs> now, one of the main characters, the judge in that show, is a huge fan of Mel Torme. Of course, me as a kid, I don't know nothing, I don't know nothing about music, so I thought Mel Torme was just a favorite of my parents' generation. So, <laughs> one of the first Christmas presents I bought him <laughs> was uh, a tape or something like that from Mel Torme, and he had no idea who <laughs> this was. <laughs> Mel Torme.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> but
2: this is... Even before their generation, right? Mel Torme was was uh, way back there.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. So, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite Christmas song?
2: Oh, it's got to be Santa Baby, right? Santa Is that, Baby. That's the one you got. Guys- yeah.
4: I Let's- will murder you. <laughs> oh, oh, Kevin, no! Why <laughs> are you doing this to me? <laughs> Please tell me at least. <laughs> I kidding. can torture you
2: guys.
0: <laughs> I yes, have the board. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh,
4: Christina, what's your favorite?
3: Oh my gosh, there's so many. Okay, so I grew up very religious. And I didn't realize there was music other than Christmas music until it was what? about nine. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I love Christmas music, like all Christmas music, except that one that you just played. <laughs> 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 like literally, that's the
0: only
4: Christmas
3: song I don't like. Oh my gosh, there are so many. Uh, probably a Holy Night. Or no, 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 no. Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel. This oh, might okay. take a while. Here's
4: your traditional bye, Christmas carol.
3: By Enya. Yeah. Yeah. It's so amazing. Oh wow. Yeah, Kirsten.
1: I, I, thought, um, I thought you wanted a hippopotamus for Christmas.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that is amazing as well.
1: That is just our generation.
3: Yeah. That's that's. I so want a hippopotamus for Christmas.
4: I sing <laughs> along, but I don't want <laughs> to
1: hurt, <laughs> yeah. hurt the ears. Yeah. Don't hurt the audience.
4: I don't know who wrote that. Probably a nice Jewish guy someplace. An
2: animal
1: lover. Probably. Um... I think some of the some of the ones, especially I love it when they come on at work is like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is oh, like yeah. so humorous. Um, this one, it's more of a country one, but it's, uh, Santa's Got a Choo-Choo Train.
4: <laughs> oh, God.
1: oh, I don't have these things.
4: Hey, yeah, that's a <laughs> true one. Yeah.
2: Have something a bit more <laughs> mainstream. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. My favorite is uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And I don't know why mm-hmm. it's the minor key that yeah. does it, but every time I hear that song, and I could listen to it forever, that's the one song that really affects me. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful song.
2: Yeah, I have this uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by, by Diana Krall. Beautiful. Like. Yeah.
4: So the, the most popular. Christmas song is White Christmas, which was introduced in, in uh, Holiday Inn by Bing A Crosby, really and it became instantly popular, and even today, even though that song, you let know, was in the 40s, it's still the top seller. Really? Any, any idea what the second top seller is? Oh, um, oh, oh, let me guess. Uh, all I want for Christmas From is you. now on. Yes. guess Kevin's gonna play it In a minute Okay Oh so <laughs> okay. I know I know the answer <laughs> Okay yeah Okay Kevin Play the second The second most Hold popular Hold on I gotta find song. it
2: here Because now is, I went all over the place <laughs> Good job Here buddy. it is Well, this is the Ringo Star version
4: Okay
1: so You gotta give it a minute
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Makes sense now, doesn't okay, it? Okay, I get it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: This is a pretty
4: great
2: Christmas song. And it's one of Nancy's least favorite
4: songs. (laughs) It it, it may be one of the least favorite. However, it has the most interesting story attached to it. And I think it has the most um, interesting uh, background altogether because it started off as a book, and then it became a song, and then it became an animated, and then Mm -hmm. it became, and it became, and it became. So in every incarnation, Nation, it has still remained so extremely cool. popular, um, and, and, and kids, kids just love it. Everyone and most kids today dog. don't realize that that Rudolph was added later. You know, in the, yes. in the in the 30s, they thought that it came with the original <laughs> A Visit from St. Nicholas. You know, with the Dasher and Dancer, and, and which all, are all know. girls, by the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Yeah, indeed.
4: <laughs> well, you think they are. Some of them, some of them, have been interpreted as as male. So, yeah. well, yeah. So we will. We transgender
2: deers. So here's the
4: here's the story. <laughs> yeah, here's the story. And speaking of Mel Torme and Chicago, this is another Chicago. I was born in Chicago. Maybe that's why I'm three thousand years old because <laughs> something has to, something, something in has the to Chicago. do with Chicago. Chicago. So here's here's the story. Back in. 1939, mm-hmm. Montgomery Ward, which was a rival of Sears, was a big um, catalog company and a department store. Um, brick-and-mortar department store as well, and every year at Christmas, they gave out little books to the uh, the children that would come to visit Santa Claus in their stores, and they finally realized that if they made their own book, that they wouldn't have to pay the money and royalties and whatever else it was to, to the publishers. So they had a guy in their copywriting department whose name was Robert May and they said okay Bob you know it's up to you we want you to do a a little coloring book and you can have it anything you want but it should be a little Christmas uh, uh, theme of some kind. So he took it on And he was really, May was going through a really bad time. His wife was dying of cancer. He had a little four-year-old daughter, and he's trying to figure out, what do I do to make children happy? And all the time, he's going through a a pretty tough time in his life. So he knew that his daughter really liked um, deer and reindeer. So he took her to the zoo, and he decided, okay, he's going to make the story about a deer or a reindeer. Reindeer of some kind. He settled on a reindeer, and then it was who he was. What, what name he was going to give it, and he thought of Rollo, and they thought of uh, a lot of different names with with ours. And he finally figured, okay, it's going to be Rudolph. His daughter liked that name, and so he named it Rudolph. Um, so as he was writing the, um, the, the, the 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 not the lyrics, but as he was writing. The story about Rudolph, he decided to put it in verse because he liked it, and he thought his daughter would be amused by it. And he began to think about the character of Rudolph and his own background. Now, Robert May was Jewish. He didn't always want people to to know that, and it changed a little bit in terms of how he presented himself later in life. But he and his wife and, and his daughter Barbara were Jewish, and. Robert May had had a pretty tough time when he was growing up being bullied by other kids because he was Jewish. And so the character of Rudolph took on a little bit of what Robert had experienced. All the reindeer used to laugh and call him names. Mm -hmm. That was out of his past. And he thought that he would also give Rudolph... This nose, and how are Jewish men usually <laughs> made fun of because of their Jewish nose? And so you've got two aspects in there that came from his Jewish history, and now that you hear the song, you'll be able to pick that up. But it's things that we never mm-hmm. knew before. So,
2: so it's so it's not because mm-hmm. Rudolph was an alcoholic and red <laughs> never Well,
4: the funny the, the funny thing is, is that when he first did. The uh, had his illustrator, do Rudolph, he did it with a big shiny nose, and the um, his bosses said, wait a minute, this nose is an alcoholic nose, and we're not going to have this in a children's book. Oh, that's, that's funny. That's funny, yeah. So they made it little and shiny, and then it, it went ahead and it passed, passed muster in the copywriting <laughs> department. So he did it, and everybody was... Um, was just was just fine with it, and when it came out in 1939, it was instantly a hit. They gave out 2.4 million copies, wow. and it, they only stopped issuing it afterwards because of wartime restrictions on paper. And then when they resumed in 1946, it was even more popular. So here's what R- Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was like in its original form. T'was the day before Christmas and all through the halls, the reindeer were playing and all through the hills, I'm sorry, the reindeer were playing, enjoying the spills, a skating and coasting and climbing the willows and hopscotch and leapfrog protected by pillows. While every so often they'd stop to call names at one little deer not allowed in their games. Ha ha, look at Rudolph, his nose is a sight, it's red as a beet, twice as big, twice as bright, while Rudolph just wept. What else could he do? He knew that the things they were saying were true. And then it goes on, and and you have the whole the whole book, and you can still find it printed so out cool. online, and you can still find find copies of it. But that came that came from his wow. from his youth. Yeah. It, but remember, everything everything turns out okay. Yeah. So after. He put out the book, his wife died, and he was left raising Barbara, his little four-year-old, and um, eventually um, uh, he got the rights to the book. Initially, um, Montgomery Ward had the rights, but because May had produced this and it was such a hit and he was going through a hard time... Uh, Montgomery Ward very generously gave him the right, so he had Aww. all of the money, and, and the family still, still retains that.
2: That's pretty, it's not something you would see today. <laughs>
4: yeah, now, yeah Robert, no kidding. Uh, Here we go. This, Stay with me here. Robert May had a sister named Margaret, and Margaret met a young songwriter whose name was um, Richard... John, I'm sorry, Johnny Marks Johnny Marks began to look at um, the story of Rudolph and figured, you know what, this really might make a pretty good Christmas song, it needs a little <laughs> changes here and there, but Johnny Marks took it, you know and asked Bob May, how about it if I turn this into a song and then if it's a hit, you know we it'll stay in the family and so forth, so Johnny Marks Um, wrote it. Now, Johnny Marks was a songwriter Born in 1909 in New York, and he was a secular Jewish guy, born into a secular Jewish family. He was a decorated World War II veteran who graduated from Colgate University, studied music at Columbia and in Paris. So he wasn't totally self-made, but he had his own style. And he began writing music at age 13. So by the time he met Margaret and married, he was establishing himself as as a songwriter. So Um, actually, he had been aware of the Rudolph story when it was published in 1939, and he was jotting some notes about it in a notebook that he kept for working on songs. And then the year after his marriage um, into the family, he began adding music once he got Bob's okay to do it, and he felt really he had a hit. So he did the song and presented it to Gene Autry, who at that point was a western singing cowboy Um, and he was um, sort of not a rival but there were there was Roy Rogers and then there were Gene Autry they were both singing cowboys but uh, Marx thought that this would suit uh, Gene Autry more than than anyone else so sure enough Autry didn't like the song, but agreed to do it because his wife said, "It's for the kids. Do Aww. it, do it." <laughs> so Aww. he put it out as the, in those days records came out with an A side and a B yeah. side. Yeah, so they put it on the B side, and the B side became the hit, and nobody ever remembers whatever. <laughs> oh my god! So that's how. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer became the second biggest hit um, of Christmas songs, and Johnny Marks went on to do. Rock around the Christmas tree, Holly Jolly Christmas, oh and, and a lot more. He was a much more upbeat, yeah. uh, hip. So that's the story of Rudolph. That's the pretty cool. That's an he, awesome you know, story. Took a little, yeah, it took a little time to to do it, but I thought everybody would enjoy you know hearing hearing the story behind it's really Rudolph. It's really
3: interesting there hearing the history of things that are so. So common
2: mm-hmm. in yeah. our
3: in our holidays. We
2: we have all these symbols and we don't know yeah. half of them. And some, it's the theme of the show today. We're trying to keep it positive. Uh, speaking of origins, I, I'm going to tell you guys about the origins of mistletoe.
1: Ooh, I'm excited!
2: Now, mistletoe is a plant that grows on on range of trees, including willow, apple, and oak trees. The tradition of hanging it in the house goes back to the times of ancient druids. It is supposed to possess mystical powers, which bring good luck to the household and wars off evil spirits. It was also used as a sign of love and friendship in Norse mythology, and that's where the custom of kissing under the mistletoe comes from.
3: Yeah, go Norse.
2: He was he a was Norse, yeah. So when the first Christians came to Western Europe, some tried to ban the use of mistletoe as a decoration in churches, but many still use, uh, continue to use it. York Minister Church in the UK used a, to hold a special mistletoe service in the winter, where wrongdoers in the city of York could come and be pardoned. The custom of kissing under the mistletoe came from England. The original custom that was a berry uh, was that a berry was picked from the the spring uh, the sprig of mistletoe before the person could be kissed, and when all the berries had gone, there could be no more kissing. <laughs> so. It's like, pick a number almost, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the name mistletoe came from two Anglo-Saxon words, which is mist- mistel, which means dung.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Yes. <laughs> and tan, which means twig or stick. So you could translate mistletoe as poo on a stick. Oh, my
0: oh, god!
4: How
2: romantic. Romance is in the air. Oh,
4: man. How many of us will now want to be kissed under the mistletoe? Kiss
2: me, I've got poo on <laughs> <and> a stick. <laughs> So that's the origins of mistletoe. All
4: right. Wow.
2: <laughs> Who wants a, to go? Quite
4: an evolution. Yes, absolutely. Name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go next? Only people knew. Ooh,
3: well, since we're doing the history of things, mm-hmm. um, I would love to talk about the history of Saturnalia and its influences on wh- how we celebrate Christmas now. Okay, so. Saturnalia, um, it was a Roman holiday honoring the god of um, Saturn, which I didn't realize he's the god of sowing and seeds, which for us is kind of lame, (laughs) but when you think about it in Rome, that's a ridiculously important part of surviving, Mm -hmm. and originally it was only held on December 17th, but then it was eventually uh, increased to three days, and then eventually after a while it was actually increased to seven whole days so it continued to the 23rd and so the different things they did um was they obviously had lots of feasts and all business and um work was suspended during this holiday Mm -hmm. um and one thing in rome was that gambling was illegal during the whole year except for saturnalia Where gambling was allowed (laughs) So that was a huge thing that um, made people love this holiday Was that they could do this pastime that otherwise they couldn't do Um, And another part of Saturnalia that really made it just a really festive time Was that they did role reversals Mm -hmm. So during this time, um, uh, slaves were given temporary freedom Uh Uh-huh and to join in the festivities, and because work wasn't being done, so depending which like where you were, the slave would actually be given like the seat at the head of the table, and the, their masters would serve them, and they wow. would take the role.
2: Role reversal. Yeah,
3: totally. I get and to
0: beat you for a change.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I can I can probably assume that that um, masters who weren't very nice to their slaves wouldn't do this (laughs) because it would probably be a little sketchy because the slaves might be like, oh yeah, no, we're just going to like murder you or something. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
3: And another really interesting thing they did was they would choose a mock king Mm -hmm. sometimes called the leader of Saturnalia or the lord of misrule. And one tradition that actually I've actually done that came from this um, mock king was They would hide a coin or a small object in a cake and whoever, and then they'd cut it up into pieces and whoever got this small object would be the Lord of Misrule or the Mock King. And I've actually done this, um, during a birthday party growing up. Mm -hmm. Did you get the coin? I didn't, (laughs) but I had no idea that this is the roots of it. And yeah, so like that, that's a really interesting kind of thing that stuck through the culture. Um, another thing that they uh, did was they would um, sacrifice a young pig um, at the Temple of Saturn, um, which is not uh, uncustomary for old cultures to have sacrificed things. At least it wasn't a human. <laughs> which,
2: what do you mean? We still do it today, don't we?
3: Uh, yeah, no? we do. We we. <laughs> I wouldn't say we take a live pig and like, slit its throat.
1: We should bring that back.
3: Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> Have fun with that, Kevin.
3: Oh. Yeah. Um, another... We're doing this
1: right after the show. We're sacrificing and going to something.
3: Yeah. Um, another thing that they did at the end of Saturnalia, then um, the last day was called. I can't, I'm horrible with names. So I'm not even going to try to pronounce what this last day was called. But the last day is when they would do gift giving. And so, some common gifts they did were um, they would give wax models of fruit.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: or
2: <laughs> Wax models of fruit? Yeah. Right. That, that's kind of a cruel gift. I like know, you right? think you got an apple, you bite into it, it's wax.
4: <laughs> oh, I think that might have been the point. <laughs> um, yeah, but it lasted all year, right? Exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, and they would also give wax statuettes. Um, one common one was of Saturn himself. And it was um, this. This statue was commonly um had a, was bound at the feet by wooden cords, but during Saturnalia they would untie the cords and then another thing they would do was give candles and this actually has a really funny history because originally there was like this prophecy in this one part of um the Roman um, like area that I, it's it's really weird, but it basically people would give heads to Hades. <laughs> and it said that Hercules um, was like, basically told them that this one word that they were um, interpreting to mean heads could also mean light. So he was like, um, guys, why don't we do candles instead of heads?
0: Give <laughs> heads. <Humans. laughs> so it's really oh funny God.
3: how people have been like doing, um, like, oh, hey, maybe let's not use let, let this word, could mean multiple things.
2: It's good to see that's not just the Christians history. that mistranslate exactly. everything. Yeah. <laughs>
3: exactly, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was something, oh my gosh, go Hercules. <laughs> so, um, uh, Christ- from the fourth century, um, Christmas has kind of been like taking things from Saturnalia, and some of the things that have been uh, absorbed into it. You you might have picked them up. Uh, gift giving mm-hmm. and uh, singing carols was a common. They didn't do the carols, but that's something that we've taken from Saturnalia. Um, having having feasts and coming together to eat meals together. Mm-hmm. Um, general merrymaking <laughs> is something we've taken and lighting candles and also how is being decorated with greenery and lights. Is something that has come from Saturnalia.
2: Yeah, you realize really quickly there's very little Christianity in Christmas. Oh, there's really so is little. There really is very little of it.
3: And this is just Saturnalia. That's mm-hmm. not talking about things coming from Celtic yes. c- cultures and just everywhere. <laughs> like there, there's so little that comes from Christian. Like even even saying that uh, Jesus was born in Christmas, like that 100% isn't true. Yeah, exactly. Like, most historians. That research that think Jesus was born in like
0: April. Yeah.
3: <laughs> like Christmas is 100% pagan in like the date, things we do. It's it's really fascinating.
4: Which is re- you know which is really wonderful in that there's so much diversity in Christmas. There's something about Christmas I think that, that everybody can enjoy. Of course, there's still you know the tension between you know having having a secular holiday connected yeah. with a religious holiday. But if you just take Christmas and leave the cri- <laughs> leave Christ out of Christmas, yeah. there's, there's no. There, it put it really is. It's amalgamation Christmas. of a lot of different cultures. A lot lot of different beliefs and non-beliefs and it's for children there's yeah. there's a lot in there for for everybody mm. everybody children. if the christians would just keep their noses out of it <laughs> it'd yeah. be
3: great and with with Saturnalia, like with and even with like the gift giving um they would specifically give gifts to children and yeah. poor people so like even even that who we give gifts to yeah has roots
4: in Saturnalia yeah. Well, yeah. maybe that was mean to save Christians if Christians no, no. would just join in the secular well, maybe, part yeah. of it maybe it the, become more the enthusiastic the
2: truth is just
3: realizing the history of it and realizing that they don't own everything that's Christian yeah. the, tru-
2: yeah, the truth is Christians culturally appropriated yeah. Saturnalia oh my gosh. called it Christmas <laughs> and did a wonderful job selling it as something they invented yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened
0: Yeah.
2: all right Are you done with that?
3: I am. That is everything I have on Saturnalia. Okay, well... No, I I think it's great to review all
0: of that so that we realize, Mm -hmm. you know, Christmas.
2: Well, I'm going to tell you guys about... You were talking about caroling, so I'm going to tell you guys about the origins of caroling. Great. So the words carol actually means dance or song or praise and joy. Carols used to be written and sung during all four seasons, but only the tradition of singing them at Christmas has really survived. Early Christians took over the pagan solstice celebration for Christmas, which is exactly what Mm -hmm. you said, and gave people Christian songs to sing instead of pagan ones. That's what they did. That's Mm. what I was saying, right? They just took over the the holiday and decided to make it their own. In 129, a Roman bishop said that a song called Angel Hymn should be sung at Christmas service in Rome. Another famous early Christmas hymn was written in 760 by... Uh, by Comas of Jerusalem for the Greek Orthodox Church. Soon after this, many composers all over Europe started writing Christmas carols. However, not many people liked them as they were all written and sung in Latin, <laughs> which is obviously, you know, a language that the normal people couldn't understand. Yep. By the time of the Middle Ages, which was the, about the 1200s, most people had lost interest in celebrating Christmas altogether. Mm-hmm. This was changed by Saint Francis of Assisi. When in 20, uh, 1223, he started his nativity plays in Italy. The people in the plays sang songs or cantiques that told these stories during the plays. Sometimes the courses of these new carols were in Latin, but normally they were, they were in all the languages that the people watching the play could understand and join in. The new carols spread to France, Spain, Germany, and other European countries. The earliest carols like this was written in 1410. Sadly, only a small fragment of it still exists today. The carol was about Mary and Jesus meeting different people in Bethlehem. Most carols from this time and the Elizabethan period are untrue stories were loosely based on the Christmas story about the Holy Family and their entertaining rather than religious songs. They were usually sung in homes rather than in churches as well. So they were basically stories about the first Holy Family and, you know, Jesus trapped... I don't know, stepped on a mouse or something. (laughs) <laughs> so well, when
4: they, pers- they personalize the stories, exactly, so people, yeah, yeah so the, people would become more attached, you know.
2: To, it to wasn't Oliver. Grandma that got run over yeah. by a reindeer at first; it was Joseph, <laughs> and then they just switched it eventually. <laughs> so when Oliver Cromwell uh, and the Puritans came over to uh, 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 came to power in the, in England in 1647, the celebration of Christmas and singing carols was stopped. However, the carols survived, and people still sang them in secret. Oh my gosh! It's kind of funny to say that. Right? Carols remained mainly unsung until Victorian times, when two men called William Sandys and Davis Gilbert, or Gilbert, collected lots of old Christmas music from villages in England. Before carols singing in public became popular, they were sometimes official carol singers called Wait. These were bands of people led by important local leaders, such as uh, council leaders, who had the only power in the town and villages to take money from the public. If others did this, they were charged as beggars, right? Uh, They were called waits because they only sang on Christmas Eve. So this was always sometimes known as watch night or wait night, because the shepherds were watching their sheep and the angels appeared to them when the Christmas celebration began. So that's the origins of caroling.
4: That's interesting. All right. Yeah. And I think that's, a, I, I really like that as a tradition when people go from house to house and it, there really is something very festive and, and communal and enjoyable. Yeah. Enjoy, I, I'm sorry. Do, 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 any, do we have any in Canada That, that No, I've, do,
2: I've, I've got a court order. To, I've got a court order that stops me from doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, Kirsten, you got a story as well.
1: I do have a story. And it is, a: uh, Why did NORAD start tracking Santa?
2: Oh, that's a Ooh, good story. Good story.
1: Alright. <clears throat> On December 24th, 1955, the red telephone at the Continental Air Defense Command Operations Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, began ringing. The red phone meant it was either the Pentagon or CONAD, commander-in-chief general earl partridge on the other end and the reason for calling would probably not be pleasant u.s air force colonel henry shoup director of operations at the center rushed over to the phone and grabbed it yes sir this is colonel shoup he barked nothing but silence in response sir this is colonel shoup he said silence again sir can you read me all right finally a soft voice on the other end are you really santa claus a little girl asked
3: (laughs) oh my
0: gosh
1: shoop was stunned for a second this must be a joke he thought he looked around the room expecting to see his men laughing at their prank but found stony serious faces all around he realized that there was some screw up on the phones and decided to play along yes i am he answered have you been a good little girl
2: (laughs) that's wonderful.
1: The girl explained to Shoop that she would leave some food out for both Santa and his reindeer, and then recited her Christmas list to him. Shoop thanked her for her hospitality, noting that Santa had a lot of traveling to do. How did he get to all those houses in one night anyway, she asked. Apparently that was classified intelligence in Shoop's mind. <laughs> That's the magic of Christmas, he said. If anyone asks her about, it th- about that, he said she should tell them to stop asking so many questions or Santa would put them on the naughty list.
2: <laughs> now drop, and do, drop down and do ten push-ups.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. That red phone, boy, Shoop later recalled, that's either the old man, the four-star General Partridge, or the Pentagon. I was all shook up. The red phone would keep ringing throughout the night. Not because of Soviet nukes or fighter planes heading toward the US soil, but because of a typo. That day, Shoop would later learn a local newspaper ran a Sears Roebuck ad inviting kids to contact Santa. Hey kiddies, the ad read. Call me on my private phone and I will talk to you personally anytime, day or night. <laughs> The ad listed Santa's direct line, but the number in the copy was off by a single digit. You know what
2: that means? That means the guy they hired to play Santa on the other line. was
1: like nobody's calling. Nobody me.
2: called at all. This guy's waiting all night.
1: That's actually kind of sad. <laughs> it is. It is. Instead of connecting to the special line Sears set up with the Santa impersonator, kids wound up calling a secret air defense emergency number.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: After a few more Santa-related calls, Shoop pulled a few airmen aside and gave them a special assignment. They would answer the phone and give callers, barring the Pentagon, we assume, Santa's current location as they tracked him on their radar.
3: Oh my gosh.
1: From that night on, tracking Santa became a yearly tradition carried on by the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, when it replaced Conad in 1958. A new phone number, separate from the red phone, was established and publicized, and people were invited to call in and find out how close Santa was to their home. Every Christmas Eve, military service members staff phones and email accounts, and the Santa Tracker Twitter account of to course, keep kids <laughs> up to date on Santa's whereabouts. Harry Shute passed away in 2009, remembered by his peers and the public as the Santa colonel who gave a special gift to millions of kids.
4: Aww. That is such
2: an amazing story. That, it is, that a, is. It's a great it's
4: a, story. I love how they're using Twitter now. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those others where something happens accidentally that was far better yes, than yes. anything else that could have happened. You could
2: not have planned that.
1: You could, like, you know. What are the chances that that number was right. one digit off from exactly. the red phone?
2: Exactly. So. <laughs> what are the odds? Awesome, I mean, he, he totally could have, when that first little girl called, he totally could have said, no get bye. off this line you know this is you know, <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. to your, blah, blah, I just hang up
3: Could you yeah. imagine if that happened now they'd send a like swat to the kids house
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they
2: probably would maybe maybe <laughs>
1: yeah. although maybe it has I... happened at other t- at other times when they got the wrong number oh my god <laughs> not specifically sure. with christmas but i've seen stories where it's happened yeah <laughs> like calling the cia
4: oh my gosh yeah.
1: Oh, geez. Okay.
4: <laughs> yeah, he must have had children of his own to where he, Probably. you know. He, I would imagine yeah, so. exactly. Although it's a, he could have been a good uncle to some as well. Mm-hmm. No, it's just the, the, the whole thing came together in a, in a really magical, nice way. Mm-hmm.
1: And then to put people on staff for that phone to help give them the tracker, <laughs> yeah. and then they start this whole tracking them. Like,
4: Oh, great PR, you know, just great PR. <laughs> they could have just
1: done it that one night and then, exactly. You know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I'm
2: going to tell you guys about the uh, origins of the Christmas tree. Oh, So this could be interesting. So the evergreen fir tree has traditionally been used to celebrate winter festival, pagan and Christian, for thousands of years. Pagans used the branches of it to decorate their home during the winter solstice. As it made them think of the spring to come, the Romans used the fir trees to decorate their temples at the festival of Saturnalia, like you were saying. Christians used it as a sign of everlasting life with God. Nobody's really sure when the fir tree were first used as Christmas trees. It probably began about a thousand years ago in Northern Europe. Many early Christmas trees seem to have been hung upside down. What? From the ceiling. Almost like a chandelier.
1: I want to do that How now. How did
3: it get... What?
2: Well, they, they, they had a hook up there, right? So they would put it <laughs> upside down like a chandelier. That's funny. So then the squirrel would fall on you after that. So... Other Christmas trees, uh, uh, early Christmas trees across many parts of Northern Europe were cherry or hawthorn plants, or a branch of the plant, that were put into pots and brought inside so they would hopefully flower at Christmas time. If you could afford the real plant, people made pyramids of wood. If you couldn't afford a real plant, people would make pyramids of wood and they were decorated to look like a tree with paper, apples, and candles.
3: Oh my gosh.
2: Sometimes they were carried around from house to house rather than being displayed in a home. It's possible that the wooden pyramid trees were meant to be like a paradise trees. Uh, They were used in medieval German mystery or miracle plays that were acted out in front of churches on Christmas Eve. In early church calendars of saints, the 24th of December was Adam and Eve's day, and the paradise tree represents the Garden of Eden. It was often paraded around the town before the play started as a way of advertising the play. The play told the Bible stories, of course, to people that could not read. The first documented use of a Christmas tree in New Year's celebration is argued between two cities, the city of Tallinn in Estonia and Riga in Latvia. Both claim that they had the first tree. Tallinn claims 1441 and Riga claims 1510. Both trees were put up by the Brotherhood of Blackheads, which was an association of local unmarried merchants, ship owners and foreigners in Livonia, which is now Estonia and Latvia. Little is known about either tree apart that they were put in the town square, were uh, were danced around by the Brotherhood of Blackheads, and <coughs> were then set on fire. <laughs> this is like the custom of the Yule Log. The word uh, used for the tree could also mean a mast or pole. A tree might have been like a paradise tree or a tree-shaped wooden candelabra uh, rather than a real tree. In the town square of Riga, the capital of Latvia, there is a plaque which engraved the first New Year's tree in Riga is 15, in 1510 in eight languages that you can find about more uh, uh, in if you ever visit that place. A picture from Germany in 1521, which shows a tree being paraded around streets with a man riding a horse behind it. The man was is dressed as a bishop probably representing St. Nicholas. In 1584, the historian Balthazar Rusk Russell wrote about a tradition in Riga of a decorated fir tree in the market square where the young man went with a flock of maiden and women. <coughs> First sang and danced, and then they, were, they would set the tree on fire.
3: Oh my gosh. They set the tree Just on fire. it on fire. Don't there need is, this anymore.
2: <laughs> there is a record of a small tree in Brandmann, Germany, from 1570, and is described as a tree decorated with apple nuts, dates, pretzels, and a paper flower.
1: Oh. It was well, this- I
4: guess setting the tree on fire, I mean, it was winter, and it's just like a bonfire. Maybe, yeah. You know, so maybe you know, part of it was setting the tree on fire and then, you know, st- standing around the tree. Roasting you know, marshmallows. Warming your hands and <laughs> things.
2: The first person to bring a Christmas tree into the house, in the way we know it today, may have been 16th century German preacher Martin Luther. Uh, The story is told that one night before Christmas, he was walking through the forest and looked up at the stars shining through the branches. It was so beautiful that he went home and told his children that it reminds him of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) And he decided to put a tree inside. Um, The custom of having Christmas trees traveled along the Baltic Sea from Latvia to Germany. In Germany, the first Christmas trees were decorated with edible things such as gingerbread and gold-covered apples. Then glassmakers made special small ornaments, similar to some of the decorations used today. In 1605, an unknown German wrote, At Christmas, they set up fir trees in the parlors of Strasbourg and hang thereon roses cut of many colored paper, apples, wafers, gold foil, sweets, etc. At first, a figure of the baby Jesus was put on top of the tree. Over time, it changed into an angel or fairy, and that told the shepherds about Jesus, or a star, like the one the wise men saw. (coughs) The first Christmas tree came to Britain somewhere in the 1830s. They became very popular in 1841, when Prince Albert, which was Queen Victoria's German husband, had a Christmas tree set up in Windsor Castle. In 1848, a drawing on the Queen's Christmas tree at Windsor Castle was published in the Illustrated London News the drawing was re, uh, republished in uh, Gotti's, a Lady's Book, Philadelphia in December 1850, but they removed it they removed the queen's crown and prince albert's mustache to make it look more american.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> the oh, publication
2: wow. of the drawing helped christmas trees become popular in the UK and the US. So hmm. that's how we know that's how we got we got that's the christmas so tree.
4: Cool. <laughs> yeah, and then they ended just- <coughs> Ended up over over here, and which is great. And then, unfortunately, went to the artificial <laughs> artificial <laughs> aluminum trees. But that's okay. I when I my when my kids trees. were little, when my yep. kids were little, we owned a owned a house and um, I hated to put anything dead, like dead flowers or dead trees. So, what we would do is we would get a tree um, from the nursery and it would still be in the container yes So, we decorate it and then we'd have a planting ceremony. That, that's what we want yeah. to do yeah. eventually. Which is, yeah, a good way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, they're wonderful. I liked
2: Christmas. I just wear the decorations myself.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I grew up...
1: In Here the, we go. Uh,
3: my family loved Christmas. And my aunt did, like, an open house. And so we put up thousands upon thousands of Christmas lights outside.
1: Didn't you guys get up to, like, 80,000? Oh,
3: God, no. Not that much. Um, oh, no, 79,000. 50. I think oh, 50,000 50. was the most we did. <laughs> but inside, every single room, including bathrooms, had a Christmas tree.
0: <laughs> oh,
2: wow.
3: <laughs> and it was a big house. <laughs> I think we got like 13 Christmas trees in oh her my house. she you
2: just put like a. And
3: they were all themed. Could you put amazing.
2: like a pine air freshener instead in the bathroom? No. That would have made more sense. It
3: was fun though, <laughs> because we, we had to start October 1st yep. so putting up Christmas decorations. <coughs> so yeah, Christmas has always been a really big part of my life.
4: <laughs> oh man, Un- unpacking the decorations and then repacking. Oh, my aunt had a whole system.
3: Like it was all like every box was numbered. She, she had, like a master still has list. That. It was amazing. Did you did you enjoy it or was oh, it? Oh, I loved it. Oh well, then that's, that's worth it, it, it if you
4: enjoy it. Yeah. yeah
3: October first, we turn on the Christmas music and start unpacking and dance around. It was fun. Cool.
4: <laughs> all right.
2: The next little story actually is still yours. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Next little positive yes. story.
3: So this I I heard, like the kind of like I didn't. I've never really heard a lot about this. But I heard the basics of it years ago. I think I was in, like, elementary school when I first heard about this. And it's always really made me realize how just decent humans can be. So this is a story about uh, the Christmas truce in World War I. Um, So this was between uh, the British and German troops uh, meeting in no man's land. Um, And it was an unofficial truce. So there was roughly 100,000 British and German troops that were involved. In the, the ceasefire, c- I can't say words. C- blah, blah. So they weren't fighting each other. Ceasefire? <laughs> ceasefire. <laughs> well, no, it's a cessation. I just mm. can't say Cez- that. Okay. Can't say that word. Cessation? There we go. <laughs> um, and it was along the Western Front. Um, so the first truce started on Christmas Eve in November. Uh, November. My God. Yeah,
2: that's a different <laughs> Christmas
3: Eve in 1914 uh, when the German troops decorated the area around their trenches in the region of the yeah, blah, blah.
2: Yves, Ypres.
3: There we go. Ypres. French word in Belgium. Um, particularly in Saint Yvonne, um, where Captain Bruce Berndt. Baird's father described the truce. Um, The Germans placed candles on their trenches and on Christmas trees, then continued the celebration by singing Christmas carols. The British responded by singing carols of their own. The two sides continued by shouting Christmas greetings at each other. Soon, therefore... Thereafter, there were excursions across no man's land, where small gifts were exchanged, exchanged, such as food, tobacco, and alcohol, and souvenirs, such as buttons and hats. The, artil- the our artillery in the region fell silent. The truce also allowed a breathing spell, where recently killed soldiers were brought back behind their lines by, bur- um, by burial parties. Joint services were held in many sections. The truce lasted through Christmas night, continuing until New Year's Day and others. On Christmas Day, Brigadier General Walter Congrave, um, then commanding a, the 18th Infantry Brigade, stationed near. Uh, Niv- Nah, French bird <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm not I'm spell, it, spell it Spell uh, N-E-U-V-E Neuve Neuville. Neuve Chapelle
2: Oh Neuve
0: Chapelle There we Neville go Neuve Chapelle
3: He's French Okay <laughs> uh, Wrote a letter Recalling the Germans Initiating Initiated um, By calling a truce For the day One of his brigade's men bravely lifted his head above the parapet and others from both sides walked onto no man's land. Officers and other men shook hands and exchanged cigarettes and cigars. One of his captains smoked a cigar with the best shot in the German army. The latter no more than 18 years old. Congrave admitted he was reluctant to personally witness the scene of the truce for fear he would be a prime target for German snipers. Future nature writer Henry Williamson, then then a 19-year-old private in the London Rifle Brigade, wrote to his mother on Boxing Day. Dear Mother, I am writing from the trenches. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. Beside me is a coke fire... Opposite me, a dugout with straw in it. The ground is sloppy in the actual actual trench, but frozen elsewhere. In my mouth is a pipe presented by the Princess Mary. In the pipe is tobacco. Of course, you say. But wait, in the pipe is German tobacco. Ha ha, you say. From a prisoner or found in a captured trench? Oh dear, no. From a German soldier, yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands, yes, all day Xmas day, and as I write, marvelous, isn't it? Captain Sir Edward Hussel reported how the first interpreter he met from the German lines was from Suffolk, where he had left his girlfriend and a 3.5 HP motorcycle. Hustle went on to describe a sing song which ended up with Old oh, um, Ang Syne, which we all, English, Scot, Irish, Persian, Woltenburgers, etc., joined in. It was absolutely astounding, and if I had seen it on a cinematograph film, I should have sworn it was faked. Captain Robert Patrick Miles. Um, who was attached to the Royal Irish Rifles, called in an edited letter that was published in both the Daily Mail and the Wellington Journal and Sh- Shrewbury's News in January 1915, following his death in action on December 30th, 1914. Friday, Christmas Day. We are all We are having the most extraordinary Christmas Day imaginable. A sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized unauthorized, but perfectly understood and scrumptuously observed truce exists between us and our friends in front. The funny thing is it only seems to exist in this part of the battle line. On our right and left we can all hear them firing away as cheerfully as ever. The thing started last night, a bitter cold night, with white frost... Soon, after dusk, when the Germans started shouting Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us, of course our fellows shouted back, and presently large numbers of both sides had left their trenches unarmed and met in the debatable, shot-riddled no-man's-land between the lines. Here, the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. The men were all fraternizing in the middle. We naturally did not allow them close to our lines. And swapped cigarettes and lies in the utmost good fellowship. Not a shot was fired all night. Of the Germans, he wrote, They are distinctly bored with the war. In fact, one of them wanted to know what on earth we were doing here fighting them. The truce in that sector continued on to Boxing Day. He commented about the Germans. The beggars simply disregarded all our warnings to get down from off their parapet. So things are at a deadlock. We can't shoot them in cold blood. I can't see how we can get them to return to business. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in 1914, Alfred Anderson's unit of the 1st and 5th Battalion of the Black Watch was billeted in a farmhouse away from the front line. In a later interview in 2003, Anderson, the last known surviving Scottish veteran of the war, vividly recalled Christmas Day and said, I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. Only the guards were on duty. We all went outside the farm building and just stood listening, and of course, thinking of people back at home. All I'd heard for two months in the trenches was the hissing, cracking and whistling, or whining of bullets in flight, machine gun fire, and distant German voices. But there was a dead silence that morning, right across the land as far as you could see. We shouted Merry Christmas, even though nobody felt merry. The the silence ended early in the afternoon, and the killing started again. It was a short peace in a terrible war nor were the observations confirmed to the British or confined to the British. French Lieutenant Johannes Neiman wrote Grabbed my binoculars and looked cautiously over the parapet, saw the incredible sight of our soldiers exchanging cigarettes, snaps, and chocolate with the enemy. General Sir Horace Smith Doran commented a commander of the British Second Corps issued orders forbidding friendly communications with the opposing German troops. Forbidding. Forbidding. Wow. (laughs) Oh, this is such an unfortunate name to have in this (laughs) Adolf Hitler, then a young corporal of the 16th I can't pronounce this. Bavarian. Bavarian Reserve Infantry, was also an opponent of the truce. (laughs) Can't understand why. Um, Hitler had
2: no Christmas spirit?
3: Apparently.
2: <laughs> wow. You think, like, he sounds kind of like a bad guy. We should keep an eye on this guy.
3: I know, right? <laughs> um, in the Comines sector of the front, there was an early fraternization between German and French soldiers in December of 1914 during a short truce. And there are at least two other testimonials from French soldiers of similar behaviors in sections where German and French companies opposed each other. Gervas Morelin wrote to his parents, The Bosches waved a white flag and shouted, Comrades, comrades, rendezvous. When when we don't move, they came toward us unarmed, led by an officer. Although we are not clear what they are... Oh, sorry. Although we are not clean, they are disgustingly filthy. (laughs) <laughs> I am telling you this, but don't speak of it to anyone. We must not mention it even to, the, to other soldiers. Gustave Barthier wrote, On Christmas Day, the Botches made a sign showing they wished to speak to us. They said they didn't want to shoot. They were tired of making war. They were married. They were married like me. They didn't have any differences from the French, but with the English. In sections of the front... The Germans and Belgians troops faced each other on December 1914. There was at least one instance where a truce was achieved at the request of Belgian soldiers who wished to send letters back to their families over the German-occupied parts of their country. In the lead-up to Christmas 1914, there were several peace initiatives. The open Christmas letter was a public message of peace addressed to the women of Germany and Austria, Signed by a group of 101 British women, suffragettes, at the end of 1914, as the first Christmas of World War I approached. Pope Benedict XV, on the 7th of December 1914, had begged for an official truce between the warring governments. He asked that the guns may fall silent, at least upon the night the angels sang. This attempt was officially rebuffed. And that is all I have about Christmas. You have to wonder
4: (laughs) when these soldiers came together, and and of course they were trained to fight, and they were, they were patriotic, and all that kind of stuff. But you really wonder after exchanging that and and seeing that they were human. How could they? Then resume, you know, yeah. thanks thanks for the tobacco in my pipe, Bang, you're
2: dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I
4: mean, it's, humans are so complex, aren't they? Well,
2: it just goes to show that war is really probably the ultimate human stupidity. Because yeah. deep down inside, no matter how much you hate your enemy, he or she goes home at night and has essentially the same life you have. You know, they want to go home to their family, they want to go home to their kids, you know, and... Mm-hmm. When you realize there's really not that much of a difference between your culture and theirs, and Especially your language when, and theirs, when,
3: when you realize the sol- they were they were fighting over nothing. Yeah, in World War One, it well, was they nothing. Were,
4: yeah, they were the soldiers. They were commanded to to fight because the leaders of their country decided they had you know disagreements that couldn't be solved any other way. So that's what soldiers do, yeah. and it's exactly just, they're exactly. the fodder, you know.
2: So cool yeah.
4: yeah great story
3: it's
2: yes a beautiful story absolutely I, I, I
3: just love how they like people were saying so, you know what, it's christmas let's just not
0: kill each other please <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: well you know if you could extend that
0: i know right you know
2: of course the uh, the uh, the christians are going to see that's the power of jesus and all that but i think it's just it's just the power of the human heart yeah you know so. there's no mystery in this you know i mean uh, at some point people get tired of fighting. Especially yeah. when you're, yeah. you're in the trench, you're in the mud, and, you realize... And especially
3: when you aren't fighting for anything. Yes. Like, in yeah. World War II, I don't think that could happen because they were actually fighting for, like, something. Like, there was a massive reason for the war. World War One was kind of a shitty reason.
4: Yeah. Like, it was... There was no, like... I imagine the soldiers could have could have sat down in the trenches and made a peace accord between them right then and there. Yeah, that exactly. Would have been much better than
2: yeah, probably than anything they had. better than yeah. their government came up with. Yeah. So cool, excellent. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for this. Do uh, you guys want to quickly go with us to uh, any quirky tradition you guys have at your own place?
3: Um, well, I the past few years for me, I always work on Christmas.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah. Panels
3: don't take holidays. And I always work on Christmas, so I've actually been doing everything on Christmas Eve. Our Christmas
2: is Christmas yeah. Eve. Yeah,
3: which is super fun because we get it a day early.
2: Well, you know, the funny thing is is I was raised like that. Really? Yeah, uh, we... They- to do the thing to sleep at night and wait till the twenty fifth in the morning to open gifts is I, I never grew up with that at all. We were always opening gifts on the twenty fourth at That's
3: midnight. That's so awesome! Oh, you it, opened it at midnight.
2: Yes, it was called a réveillon. So fun. What, what would happen is you would. Is it send, a
3: Catholic thing?
2: I, I think it's just a European thing. Are you sure? Cause yeah, I, because I
3: know other Catholics that do that.
2: Yeah, well, my my uh, my, uh, my girlfriend of mine is uh, she's Italian and they celebrated the same oh, way too. Oh, cool. Uh, And it was, you know, you send the kids to bed early so they can get some rest because you don't want them up the whole time. And then shortly before midnight, you wake them up and everybody comes downstairs and everybody... Tears apart the gifts and all that, and you know they play with it a bit, and then we'd have this huge feast.
4: That is so. In, fun. in the wee hours and then of the you'd morning, and then you pass
2: out, and then you pass out. And then you'd pass out. <laughs> so you
4: didn't wait for Santa Claus and the reindeer to no, no, France no, on the roof.
1: Twenty-four oh, at midnight, I,
4: Santa Claus, I come A already. funny story
3: about Santa growing up.
1: Okay, Before we it. get to that, oh, okay. Um, another thing that we do is we've decided since we moved in together, um, every year, you know the Hallmark ornaments that they come out with every year. Yeah. We decide every year we're going to get a new one of those. Guess and our what we first, got this year. Our first one was um, Beauty, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast.
3: Oh, guess what we got this year.
1: Jeez, guess, I wonder. were lucky I was in the mall it that day. Does
3: it start with an H? It does. <laughs> it's totally Harry Potter. One.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Harry Houdini. <laughs> no,
3: it's totally it's Harry Potter.
1: It is yeah. Harry Potter, of course.
3: But um, <laughs> with growing up, because my family was really religious, they told me that Santa wasn't real when I was like five. How cruel is that? Well, they actually just never told me Santa like was a thing. Okay. And they they told me they like, they explained like the history of like Saint Nick and stuff. I didn't realize that all children were not informed of this.
1: Oh god! So I was you in the went f- around
2: and told kids
3: kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> on the I I can remember being on the bus first week of school <laughs> to another boy to a boy in my class, mean like Santa's not real. No, he's not real. <laughs> We had a massive argument on the bus. Where I'm just trying to, like... Because I didn't understand how this child could believe in Santa. Because I'm like, wait. No. What do you... That that makes no sense. It's not real.
2: And the irony is so thick there. Because at the time, you believed in Jesus. I (laughs)
0: know. It's so thick. My
3: aunt had to sit me down and be like, okay... Some parents tell their children this is real and you can't go (laughs) down that it's not.
1: I can just picture Auntie sitting you little five year old you down and telling you that.
3: Oh, it's such a funny memory. I love it.
2: I know I know when I my when my daughter found out that Santa wasn't real and she found out a bit late too and oh she was so angry at me.
3: I, I actually don't like it when you string kids along. Like I personally, if I ever had kids, I wouldn't like straight out tell them Santa's not real but i don't think i'd like make it this big thing. No, oh, yeah. And also PSA, don't give your kids amazing presents from Santa. Yes. Yeah. Give them like the little dinky toys from Santa and have the have the awesome presents from you as a parent or like an aunt or something.
1: Or the cats.
3: Yeah, because when kids go to school and like, "Oh, look what Santa got me. He got me a a Nintendo Switch." And this other kid, who's from a poor family, is like, oh, Santa got me a slinky.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: what did I do wrong?
2: Yep. Yeah, I think um, Santa's got a limited budget, you know?
3: <laughs> my, my favorite Christmas tradition is actually stockings. Really? I love stockings.
2: I didn't grow up with that at all. Growing up? Barely.
3: Because I have a, a lot of siblings, a lot of siblings, <laughs> every every kid got a, a, a step that the the stocking hung on. We we had 13 steps, so we just fit on it. (laughs) And growing up, stockings were the only thing that everybody got the exact same thing with. So I'm a socialist, as everyone can probably guess by that. I'm not, like, a democratic socialist, people. Um, She's a
0: commie.
3: Totally. No, I'm not. (laughs) But growing up, other than the stockings there was a massive disparity in the present the quality of presents my family gave because christmas was the, the time of year all of my cousins came together so i had a ridiculously close family
0: mm-hmm.
3: and there was another family that had six kids in my in my extended family so cousins and they would get like 20 presents for christmas and like really nice presents like mm. cameras and laptops yeah. and, And I would get like three things, and growing up, it it really stuck a blow. It did. Did and like to my like self esteem and be like, wait, did my parents not love me? Yeah. Because when you're a kid, you think the presents are like. Um, like, a, a ranking of how much people love you.
2: Especially when you know that the cousin of yours that's getting 20 guests is a brat. Well, he,
3: well no. He, <laughs> some of them were. Um, but, like, it was actually a couple years ago that it really hit home because um, I was sitting right beside my favorite cousin, who was uh, the youngest. We're both the youngest of their separate families. Yeah. And I got three presents, and one of them was, like, a teddy, and, like, they were just, like, really... Like, I think one was a pair of earrings, and he got... Twenty-three presents, yeah. and they were like amazing presents. And I just remember because we were both saving our presents till we all got them. Because there's a gajillion presents under the tree. Because mm-hmm. I have like, there's like fifty people in the extended family. Holy so I think the most yep. that ever visit was that we had to rent a hall one year to have dinner because there was too many people to fit in the house.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's impressive when you when you look at how how Auntie squeezes everyone in the house. Yeah,
3: and. So, at the end, like, my cousin had this massive stack of presents, and I just had, like, this little, little stack. And it it made me, that was when I realized how much, like, presents, like, I interpreted presents. Yeah. And realized how much I hate presents. <laughs> but I love giving presents to kids. Because kids are really the only people... Who need presents.
0: Yeah. It's
4: amazing. Christmas can be such a defining holiday. You know, listening to, listening to Christina, <laughs> it, it can be such a defining holiday <clears throat> that affects the rest of your life. Yeah. In, in, a, in a lot of, in a well, lot of ways. Well, especially
3: when Christmas is, because in my family, Christmas was always built up as this time you come together and show love. And, you know, you, you spend time with people you love. And presents were always a big part of that. So... You, you couldn't just separate presence from this this feeling of love and and caring, so then when you didn't get that, you were like, "Wait a second, <laughs> something's not right here
2: well, if it's any consolation dear, I think of all of you as gifts to me Oh, okay.
1: so. Aww. so yeah, and my house it was uh, always uh, how many of those uh, maraschino cherry chocolates did Grandpa get Grandma this year? Oh, my
0: gosh.
1: <laughs> like I said to my grandma a month ago, I'm like, Grandma, why are you buying them? You know he's going to get you a stack. Yep. And she just loved them. Jumping, jumping back does. to the,
3: the me interpreting presents, I think it also might be impacted by the fact I am a twin. Mm-hmm. So, growing up, everything had to be equal between my twin and I, like, yeah. to an obsessive level. Like, if we were driving, in the, if some one of us got to sit in the front seat of the car... My mom had to stop halfway... And let us switch. Wow. Yeah.
2: Could, could you just switch us. on the way back?
4: Yeah. It depends. Sometimes we did that.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh
4: my so, goodness, we could go on and on and on. So about
3: Christmas, I think that also was an impact to how I have interpreted fairness. You're
1: so used to things being always Fair. having to be equal, and I
3: think that's yeah. another reason why I love stock.
1: So the show next week is going to be a look into the psyche <laughs> of <you> Christina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that we should I think that podcast. would cover yeah, a few shows, Kevin. Like. If we have anything we have to fill in. <laughs>
4: Let me talk about my job. Yeah, there we go. That'll we'll fill. go
1: from year one on to the year two. And on, the on the couch with the Anyway, this it's
4: thing fun. It's fun to learn all of these things, isn't
2: it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for being with us on the show today. You can follow us on com. You can send us an email at left at valley at You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Uh, And you can also follow our sister's show, So You Think You're a Skeptic, with our friend Tyler and Kevin.
4: Amazing. This is the last show.
2: Of this year, no, no, the we year? still got oh, no, another.
4: one, which I was about to say. Oh, okay. Next week <laughs> next we're week, doing
2: okay. <laughs> the best. I'm
4: a little premature, <laughs> am I not?
2: You just want to go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next week we're doing the best of the year, the top ten shows that we had during the year. As
1: of,
3: I wonder how many of them I'm involved with because I wasn't here all last year.
2: Well, yeah, probably most of them actually.
1: Really? Oh, I have a quick uh, question for everybody. What's one of your favorite Christmas movies?
4: <gasps>
1: oh, jeez. For, for me, for
4: Oh, that's, that's really easy for me. Um, the original Miracle on 34th Street. The black and white one. The black yeah. and white one. Oh, wow. Mine's Home Alone, hands down. I love watching The, uh, the, the Birth of Jigsaw.
2: <laughs> I
1: thought it was Godzilla versus King Kong. For oh, I'm <laughs> no, uh, no, just kidding.
4: Actually, I have a modern one, too, Elf. I think between oh. those two, I love The I've seen that
1: movie more times in French class than I have any other time.
4: I love Elf.
1: <laughs> I know for me it's um, Arthur Christmas. Yeah. That or Annabelle's Wish.
3: Also a great movie.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: so anyway, like I said, <laughs> next week we're doing the top ten of the year. And in the coming year, we'll have our friend Damien Gillis is going to come talk to us about Wild Salmon. We'll also okay. be talking about biomimicry.
0: I'm
3: so excited for that one.
2: And we'll also have our friend David Fitzgerald come to talk to us in February about his new book, as well as Michael Shermer. We're still setting a date for that. And here's something that's very interesting. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Barry Newfeld. Yeah. So somewhere in, boy. F- somewhere in February, <laughs> we've invited Dr. Drance and Dr. Del Rey to come back to the show. And we'll probably do it live somewhere, probably at the stage in Mission. Where we've got a friend that's going to help us do that. And we're going to put this LGBTQ trans thing to rest once and for all. Sounds good. So that should be fun. So keep an eye on that. We'll have some fun with that.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Well, thank you. We always have fun.
4: Merry Christmas. Merry
2: Christmas to all. And we're going to leave you guys with. We're talking about the Christmas tree. So let's. Listen
3: to Harry Potter Christmas music?
2: No. It exists. It it actually exists. We're just going to put the Happy Christmas War is (laughs) Over by John Lennon. Uh, until next time guys hey
3: it wouldn't be the end of the show if I didn't talk about Harry Potter that's true so this is
0: Christmas oh. this is such a good song and what have you done another year over and you won't just be gone and this is all.